This week's episode is brought to you by audible.com. To get a free audiobook and download and 30-day free trial, visit audibletrial.com/insideoutside. Again, that's audibletrial.com/insideoutside to download your free audiobook today. Also, Startup Week Lincoln. Mark your calendars for the week of September 27th through October 3rd where you can attend hundreds of events, meetups, and parties to connect with the region startup community, including TEDx Lincoln, Silicon Prairie News Awards, and a live taping of the Inside Outside podcast at the Pipeline Entrepreneurs Meetup. Details can be found at lincoln.startupweek.co. Working with people can be extremely difficult. Uh, Everyone has an opinion, and sometimes things can get a little bit heated. This week, we're discussing workplace dynamics and how you can foster a culture of tolerance. We also caught up with internet marketer and entrepreneur Jeremy Shoemaker, also known as Shoe Money. He discusses his ups and downs as an entrepreneur, his massive wins, and even coming back after basically being on his deathbed. This interview is saucy, so probably not recommended for kids, but it's definitely entertaining. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside Silicon Valley. My name's Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. My name's Paul Jarrett. And dang, you are so good at that intro. (laughs) I've got it down. Man, and then like an emotion when the theme music came on, like I'm starting to get chills when I hear it, Matt Boyd. (laughs) Yeah. You should be like on a like 1-800 number, like but you're like the hype person. So you just call it. To like have them introduce you, like get ready for today, Paul. You're gonna walk outside and see the sunshine. That would be a, that should be an app or something. Yeah. So this week we're talking about workplace dynamics. You know, working with people all the time can be a struggle with creative differences and creative processes. We've all seen it. Um, so let's get into it. How do you find those teammates first of all to know oh, that man. you should be working with them or not? Yeah. I, I wish, man. If somebody has a good process, let me know. Um, we we use a lot of those like strength finders mm-hmm. tools color codes um but we have had a lot of success in if there is somebody that is performing exceptionally well um as a kind of like to call them like a teammate or a coworker, but i'll use the word employee now um uh, encouraging them to find people like themselves mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know if somebody's really good at something like really like tasking them saying like where do i find the carbon copy of you yeah, John. both as a backup uh, as well as just because you know that there'll be a cultural fit or well a lot of times you know it's the um kind of a, it's not necessarily the skill set or the the personality it's just you find that a lot of times like really good talented people like kind of hang around with good talented people so mm-hmm. um a lot of times you know that's actually what happens and then they bring a few people in and yeah. um we also have you know, just tasked like interns with like, Hey, find somebody like, this is who we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So find somebody, but I don't know. I think early on you need to really just like recruit, like they're not going to walk in your door. You're not going to get a resume. If anything though, you know, wise people are actually steering clear of you (laughs) because you have nothing early on. If you can date first, that's obviously a, absolutely. So if you can come up with some type of project or some way to get them in the door to see if they are a fit and a consulting, a consulting gig or whatever. Um, what do you think about, you know, the importance of free flowing ideas? 
you know, making sure everybody's ideas are heard, making sure that they feel that even if their idea is not perfect, that their idea has been heard and is listened to yeah. as a as kind of as like a cultural uh, center. Cause I feel like uh, I've been a part of organizations where it's like, you know, click fair. Isn't that what you call it? Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like people just don't, if, if you create an environment where ideas aren't celebrated, even mm-hmm. if they're bad ideas, yeah. Yeah. then people will not come up with ideas. Yeah. They'll feel yeah. punished, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that kind of, yeah. I find that we just, I mean, we're constantly pushing people to be fearless, be relentless. Um, but it is hard because, you know, you, you start working with different personalities and, you know, I'm probably guilty of a lot of the things that, you know, I'll say is like, um, like I don't actually hear what the person is saying. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, um, a lot of emotion is involved or actually not enough emotion is involved with the decision and it's just based on facts or, um, you know, some people just have to have like the last word in, right. Mm-hmm. Like in a discussion or, um, I always find that when good ideas happen, you're like, Hey, I thought of that. And everybody like, is like, no, like we thought of that. And you're like, okay, yeah, like we thought of that. But if it goes bad, it's like every, you know, the eyebrow kind of raises like, Hey, that was your idea. Remember that? (laughs) But like, which I think is great, right? Like if it's a win, everybody celebrates it. Like if it's a a fail, like everybody should take the fail. But man, I don't know. It's just like this constant, like pushing of confidence and, um, like delivering on what you say of, if you fail, like it's okay. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously the team dynamics, it's probably the number one cause at early stage. If you don't get that first team in place, it can truly have a big effect on the company. I think teams is like the big killer of startups that nobody talks about. Yeah. I just read, I don't know if it's a a factual statistic, but something like one third of all startup failures are team dynamic related. I, I haven't I haven't had a lot of questions on like, you know, like uh, potential investors like, hey, how's your team? Like, you know, like how do you interact with them? Mm-hmm. Like they don't ask about strength finders or color code profiles or like our management one on ones and stuff like that. That is something that I've noticed about the Midwest more so is yeah. that, you know, it, it really is, a, you know, all about the team. It's, it's a team effort. It's, um, you know, it's it's really focused on the people in the organization. <laughs> He's taking a he's taking a picture, so I'm posing for it. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. We got paparazzi coming around. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it really is a team effort, and, and versus like the West Coast, where it's it's kind of generally all about you. You know, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like you know I, I did this thing. Uh, we you know it's like oh totally yeah. So it it really is kind of a rat race situation versus uh, here, where I've really just gotten the sense that like. You know, not everybody, not one single person takes the glory, but it's like, it's totally a team effort. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the right thing to do, right? Like you just see, you can see in emails like the I, I, I versus the we, 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 um, you know, and, and I don't know, like I couldn't work in an environment that's, you know, like that. So, so what do you think about hiring Like as far as getting the right team in place? Should you look for people who've been in corporations, people who are fresh out of college. Yeah. Does it depend on what you're doing and what you're building? What are some ways to find that right team? Mm -hmm. You want me to take that one? Yeah. All right. Um, There's pros and cons to everything, right? And, and people with a corporate background, like they, they tend to be, uh, have a higher like business acumen, higher business maturity. 
um, things don't kind of like, you know, ruffle their feathers as much. Um, and this is just my experience, probably totally different for everybody else. Uh, people that don't have a corporate background, like, um, they, uh, you know, might lack some of those things, but also like, they're just so passionate and so loyal and just like totally give a shit on everything that they're and they doing. don't know what they don't know sometimes. <laughs> right. And like, so that's like a super gross like generalization, but, um, there's just pros and cons. Like that's the whole point of it. I also firmly believe in finding different personalities and different skill sets. Um, like I think a lot of times I've, I've worked at a company. Um, I think I can say their name now, but, uh, is complete nutrition. And I always felt like a lot of the times with the personality profiles, we were looking for the same type of person, mm. um, which is great for like departments and whatever. But I think in a company it's easy to manage that because your culture is all the same, but man, you start getting like 40, 50 people. Like there's just no way you're going to start yeah. to like get the yeah. same personalities over and over. So you know, Bulu Box, we made a conscious, very conscious effort to very diverse, find different people. Yeah. yeah to find different strengths. And it's our jobs as, um, you know, uh, the leadership team to make sure that everybody's playing nice together. Yeah. yeah and that, that's part of the like, team dynamic then. It's like mm-hmm. managing the diversity and managing the fact that, you know, I think one of the reasons why startups have issues with the team, team dynamics early on is one, you know, one new employee is, is a significant chunk of the, the, the company. You know, you mm-hmm. add one person to a three-person yeah. team and you've added 25%, you know, more to the yeah. team. So yeah. they have bigger bigger stake in it. And secondly, you're by default time and resource restrained because you're a startup. You just yeah. don't have enough time yeah. and resources to do everything you want to do. Mm-hmm. So managing those dynamics becomes even more important because of those uh, constraints so, that you're put on automatically. So what do you guys think about, um, let's say that somebody comes up with an idea. And they present it to the team and it's just bad. Mm-hmm. It's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you, um, how do you word it? How do you speak to them in a way that is not, um, negative, negative. Yeah. And how do you bring right. out like the, gr- the good things while also emphasizing that it's, we're not going to go with this idea. Yeah. So we, we always say like, you know, the, the, if you, we say this a lot, like, um, First, if one of out of one out of every ten of your ideas is an okay idea, like you're doing pretty good. Yeah. So, like setting that precedent of like one out of ten things that you throw out there is going to be good. Also, when we're kind of talking about like um, business maturity and, and whatever, um, and I think this goes for working with a startup. Like a lot of times, the only time to get a team to like kind of mesh together is, um, and I think just in general, like you know, to kind of be a better teammate and be a better you know. Um, um, human being really um we always talk about this thing that we just call like scar tissue mm-hmm. um and it's like when you after you've been through this situation and you build up some scar tissue and you know like you you remember that and you know it doesn't hurt as bad the next time that yeah. you know it yeah. happens but like a lot of times like it's just time like it's just keeping the team together through those hard times and they'll they'll build up scar tissue they'll start to say like oh, this person does this when they're panicked or they're mm, anxious right. or they're excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you just know how they're going to react more. Yeah, they yeah. just start to like understand or they might not understand. This is like magical when this happens. Like they might not actually understand why that person is doing what they're doing, but they understand that it's a different personality type. It's a different um, strength or whatever. So now I am totally forgot what it, the question was though. More along the lines of like how do you keep people um, – Keep people happy even if their idea is bad. Oh, right, 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 right. So yeah. the whole like throw one idea against the wall like, yeah, like, yeah. or throw 10 ideas out of one sticks. I think a lot of times too, people don't 
get to the core of what that person is trying to say. So they might in their idea, there's a nugget that's actually super valuable, but you're just hearing it in Mm -hmm. a certain way. So, Mm -hmm. um, I tend to like ask them to explain things to me a bunch of different ways. Um, and then it kind of goes to like, well, what's your plan of action? And then, you know, then you get into budgetary and et cetera, but you kind of see that just naturally, like we, I don't think we ever say no, but it's just like the good ideas tend to get people that jump on board and then yeah. start to get excited and the bad ideas end up just kind of like well, fizzling away every once in a while there's something where you know somebody is just adamant about it and it's like hey let's do it and sometimes those pan out or yeah. don't pan out i think you have to be authentic about how you approach criticism and that as well like if, if you're the type of person that would come across like you're just you know feeding me bullshit because you think my idea is bad or whatever and you're not being authentic to yeah. how you present your criticism and that that, that can go bad as well yeah. so it's partly a personality of of who's taking the criticism and who is giving the criticism yeah. i suppose there's yeah. an element of compassion that needs to go mm-hmm. into it and you know uh general interest in what the person's saying even if you disagree with a it. lot of the, the you know the difference i think or not difference but a lot of the issue i think can come back to if everybody's on the same path with regard to their mission yeah. uh, of, of why they're going this direction, you can oftentimes steer it in, in that direction versus yeah. A, yeah. A, you know, a, a call out on their particular skill set or, or, so, or the idea per se. It's like, yeah. you know, here's what we're trying to do. How does this fit into that overall mission? Yeah. Also, like people get caught up in, they forget like great ideas can come from anywhere. Like it doesn't right. need to be somebody high up in the company or whatever. So oh, yeah. I don't care if it's a day one intern or if it's, you know, somebody that's been there for years, like there is no reason that that should give, you know, weight to yeah. like the, the core of the idea given mm-hmm. you might have said like, Oh, we tried that or we tried that. Like, mm-hmm. but you need to say like, that's really great thinking. That's strategic thinking. Like we've actually tried that before and here were the results, but you know, who knows we mm-hmm. might try it again or, or whatever it is. So, so how do you, how do you handle conflict? How do you, so people are working together. It's a creative environment. You're going to be bouncing off of each other a lot uh, and conflict is going to arise. How do you deal I with that? I would say if you don't have conflict, you're probably not pushing the edges. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So I think that's good. I think it's again, how you handle that conflict and, and realize it's not always personal uh, or, you know, the tax can't become personal, personal yeah. uh, uh, with regard to what that criticism's about. It's like, again, we're on this same mission together. How can we get on the same boat? That's, and we're going to have, yeah. you know, conflicts about necessary same specific team, same path. Team. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, if we understand where we're trying to go, let's yeah. figure out a, a path to get there together. Yeah. And so that whole like same team, same team. Like it's not, I'm not, I'm not, trust me, I'm not going out of my way to make your day, you know, taxing, like we're trying to make this better. And I think, at the end of the day, if everybody understands like what they're working on, yeah. um, like we're all leading towards the same goals, mm-hmm. this might not be your priority or whatever it is. Like we're on the same team. We're mm-hmm. all, you know, it's nice when you have an equity pool, right? Cause yeah. like, this is our company. Like we're yeah. all working on this together. Like I didn't just try to make this up, you know, to create more work from you. Um, and it, and you know, sometimes there are people that are just always negative and always like whatever, and you, you, you gotta just gotta get rid it. of them. You gotta, yeah, nip that. I mean, the yeah, I mean, you gotta like, you gotta let that person like inform that person of yeah. what they're doing and understand how it's perceived. But then, like over time, if it doesn't work, you just gotta get rid of it. It's, like you don't have time to like yeah. that will kill you. That it's will super literally painful. kill you. It's, like it's painful to work with somebody who is just constantly negative. It's yep. like. Yep. You know, you've got better things to worry about yeah. than, than that. But also, like, I think it's very important that you understand, like, they might not be, like, there's a difference between negative and a difference between, 
um, them just not saying it the one, the way that you want it to be said. Right. So you need to really check yourself on what they're saying. That's true. Right. Like just because it's not, and and I know this because I have this impact, I have this effect on people, right? Like I, I cut straight to like, you know, one line, like, you know, here's, here's the problem. How are we going to solve it? Or, you know, this thing is broken. What are are you going to do? And I think I know a lot of times that rubs people the wrong way, but because they understand I'm pretty much dominant, 100% red on the color code profile and, you know, competition activator high in my strength finders. Like they know that that's just how I operate. I try to work on it, but when I get caught up in the moment, like it doesn't matter. Like I'm just stating facts in black and white and you know, what's taking so long. I think it's kind of interesting that we, it's a great thing that we live in, in uh, a culture in the United States that kind of celebrates conflict at least a little bit, not to like the nth degree, but like, um, conflict is not that much of a problem, but there are other countries where, you know, I think Tyler Crowley was telling us, I lived in Asia and, and you never heard or not ever, but there was a lot of times where you were given a no, but they would never say no. It's like, yeah, mm, that's difficult. Oh, like, what, that's does that, what does that mean? A difficult? fast no is better than yeah. a slow. But they didn't want to have the conflict. So, I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it's a cultural thing. No, like you just don't say bad. no. Yeah. You, you don't want to have that money. person lose face <laughs> or, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, well, that's difficult, it's which means of, there's no way that's going to happen. That costs so much money. <laughs> it, or they, you know, the, uh, people sit down and, and design by committee because they they don't, they don't want the conflict yeah. of no. like back and forth. No, yeah, you gotta yeah. you gotta it's tough. put those trust people to do their jobs and you know provide feedback and you know then there's a difference between. I actually like when I'm working on stuff or proofing or mocking stuff up or whatever. Like I will actually draw a line and say like um, like this is subjective. Like this is just my opinion. Do what you want or like no, this actually needs to be changed. Yeah, um, I will. I, I go back to the color code and strength finder because I'm, I'm like fascinated by that whole thing. But what I do find with that is it doesn't necessarily help you. I, I mean, it helps you overall. But understanding a strength finder, um, Gallup, um, you know, those personality profiles might not help you in the moment of a situation, but when you reflect back on why or how that conversation went the way that it did, that's usually when it helps me best, right? Like, why did this person do what we did after all this conversation? And then you read their strengths and profile and you, Oh, like, this is why, you know, how can I, it's that whole like focus on what you can like focus on what you can control yourself. Mm -hmm. You can't control that other person. I, I always found that communication is also a massive balance where, you know, some people just hate communicating conflict and communicating yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I found that, you know, I, I waver toward the let's talk about it. Let's just air it out. And then once it's yeah. over, it's over yeah, for sure. Um, there's also a, you could go too far on that end where you're just like almost creating conflict out of talking <laughs> yeah, about so things I, too much. I have a little trick that I do where like I write something down, like I will like actually write like whatever it is or email myself. Um, or I just, I, I say, okay, I'm going to give this 72 hours. And if it's still on my mind, yeah, when I look yeah. at my note or whatever, and it still like, you know, bothers me or whatever, then, and I, I will go tell that person or get that group together and say like, okay, I, I actually gave this three days to like sit and, you know, I agree or I disagree or, or whatever it is. So well, and it's that was shocking how many times you're like, that reflection, I'm wrong. <laughs> that reflection sometimes give you the, the opportunity to know, is this something I really want to go to battle over or is it something yeah. that I, I, I'm okay with it and you know, where the lines really need to be drawn. And some famous coach, he said as, as a coach, I have 
six bullets in my gun and I need to like choose to fire them wisely because yeah. you do kind of pop off or you do have your, you know, th- you know, situations like, um, like you, you, it just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I have to ask this. Did you guys listen to this American life podcast called new me and new MMI? So it was like the American way to how to manufacture a car. Oh uh, yes. And then it was mm-hmm. um, Toyota's way and just like the whole teamwork and stopping the line. General Motors <sighs> plant. Man, Def- that blew my mind. So, it was so, so good. We, maybe we post the link in the yeah, description. Yeah, so like this, I mean, that whole just like teamwork, like I, I, I put it on Slack for everybody I worked at Blue Box and I think I posted on social media. But man, like that is something that is like real, I don't know what it was, but it like really struck a chord with me. Hmm, interesting. Um, and I think actually Tesla is now using the Numi plant, hmm, which is like, sweet. like it was a production model um, and it was all about this, like, I think it was the Japanese way of always iterating, always making better working as a team. And I'm like, mm. man, that's my language. And it actually became the most productive um, uh, manufacturer, but GM never adopted the principles. Wow. Which irony, now Tesla has it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. so to wrap up the conversation on work dynamics, um, I think uh, I think it's important to communicate. I think that, you know, find that balance of, of proper communication. And if something's bothering you, then get it off your chest, um, especially in a very tactful way. That's I think um, trying to be deliberate about who you're hiring and why and, and how that's going to affect you. And, you know, again, dating first. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to get the right teammates on board first, and then if, if it's not the right fit, move on and yeah. try to find that as quickly as possible. Because I think at the early stage, it's a killer if you don't figure it out. Yeah, I'd say uh, focus on yourself and what you can control, which mm-hmm. is understanding your personality and their personality, and and you know don't sweat the small stuff and pick and choose your battles wisely. Yeah. Also, uh, real quick, is um, let ideas flow freely in your organization. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So do you do you know what they call you when you're the best internet marketer in the world? Shoe money. They do. Oh, so yeah, they don't call you the best internet marketer in the world. They call you shoe money. So this is Jeremy Shoemaker, or as you may know him, Shoe Money. 150,000 followers on Twitter, author of digital products on marketing, and a software designer. To the locals, he's kind of an enigma. Some people fear him. Others think he's arrogant, but in this interview, we're going to expose a bit of the real shoe money. Grab some popcorn because this is going to be a fun one. Jeremy Shoemaker, Lincoln, Nebraska, startup ninja, and thank you for having me. And um, I absolutely have, I'm a little humble and I don't have much Minigo, so you might have to dig for some answers. Really hard to pull it out, so thank you for your time. Really thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so who is shoe money? So Shoe Money originally started as a young kid, very overweight, who wanted to be a rich superhero. So I started drawing the Superman logo, which actually, if anyone from Time Warner is listening, actually has nothing to do with Superman. It looks nothing like it, um, with a dollar sign. Rich and superhero. So that's where Shoe Money comes from. And then it's just been my nickname since I was 16 years old, flinging pizzas. And yeah, cutting pizzas on a cutboard. A place called Happy Joe's in Moline, Illinois. And they dubbed me Shoe Money on the Cut. Like I was, you know, cutting like a rapper. Yep. They actually made me a shirt. It said Shoe Money on the Cut. And it was my nickname. My friends called me and because I was always hustling. I mean, always after it. 
Yeah. You know, so. So who's Jeremy? Well, Jeremy started like life very overweight and lived every day like literally was his last. Like I didn't plan to live past 30. I thought if I lived to be 30, it would be because I was I was so overweight and kind of just accepted my fate. And I mean, I was 26 years old. I was on oxygen, a CPAP to sleep at night. I was 420 pounds, 50 grand in credit card debt, two packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah, a real catch for the ladies. Literally on my deathbed. I mean, pissing protein in my urine because I was had such bad diabetes. So yeah, that was me. What changed? What is that? Do you remember that point when you're like, I'm gonna change? Yeah, it all was when I met my now wife. I mean, at at that exact time on Yahoo Dating, I have a, a little bit of a programming background, so I wrote a script that would contact all females <laughs> in a 60 mile radius and I did really well with that you know I, I had a lot of fun That's it's amazing so basically it was back then so I had this one respondent she was like dear and she called it actually she said what would you call was that your name no that was what my now wife actually wrote to me then when I when she got this email that I would mass spam every girl uh, your first kind of like your first marketing was finding women when you were way overweight. Right. That's the hardest kind of marketing. I, I used to be 315 pounds. So I understand if you can figure that. Fun, right. If you can fill out that customer funnel out. Right. Good. So um, what was your first, uh, I mean, I would consider that your first introduction to internet marketing, but how did you kind of, how were you born into the internet marketing world? Or what do you prefer? I call it internet marketing. Basically, like it happens, and everything that I have done that's been successful has always come about because it was something that I wanted for myself, and then I just made it available for other people. So it started in building an application. So you don't you don't hold tight to the find the market, find the audience, find the uh, get some traction, etc. You kind of throw that book. Right. That's not for me. Um, I mean, like I I didn't plan this the first one. You know, like I didn't. I don't even, the one I'm doing right now that I think I've made you privy to is killing it. And I didn't plan. I just, it was something that I thought would be cool. And yeah, and I've got an idea for something else. I can actually, if someone wants to run with it, I think it would kill it. I look for things that I want that I would be the biggest user for. Like, you know, about my mail platform company. I'm the biggest user of that. All the features in there are ones that I wanted. Um, my uh, everything I've done that's been successful. The things that haven't been were exactly when I went off the playbook. Yes. And I tried to be something that I'm really not. What are some of the companies that have been successful? That you've yeah. yeah. So my first one was called Next Pimp, which also you should be careful you what Next Pimp N E X T P I M P, nice. because it actually started as the name. Com. <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, if it, it happens to be an adult site right now and it's making tons of money, I have nothing to do with it, okay? So I, it started as com because I thought it was funny. But I was like, you know, it'd be cool if you could upload an audio file and have it convert to either a MIDI or a wave or MP3 that you could load on your phone. It changed from com because everyone was like, the... the where it is blocked on my company's, uh, you know, uh, thing. I don't want to go to b- dot com. Guy Wells Fargo can't get it. Right. Yeah. 
you know, you know, brother who works at, you know, you know, Wells Fargo or whatever, he can't, can't be accessing b.com and raising flags. So then I got real mature and I was like, okay, next pimp, pimp out your next telephone, <laughs> like super mature, right? Yeah. Now this site like absolutely explodes and literally I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, unemployed, okay? And I left Omaha because I'd been canned for working on big.com, which is the place you upload, you know, your audio file and all that, you know, to download the uh, ringtone for your phone or actually transfer it through data cables and all this. Anyway, so that um, basically like just completely went crazy. And within, I moved there in June of 2005. And I know that because in September of 2005, you'll find if you just Google the word check or AdSense check, you'll see a picture of me holding a check for $134,000. It might be that. It's exactly something like that. Um, For one month. And 99.9% of that was profit. And that actually was as much money as I had made my entire life up to that event. Even actually more combined. Combined. That's awesome. It's insane. It felt like, take a picture of me with this check because if it ends tomorrow, I'm going to make a money off selling a book about how to make money with this thing. I literally... What's the first thing you did when you got that money? Oh, I took it to the bank with an unemployment check. Really? I swear to God. Wow. And turned it in and the Wells Fargo banker looks at me and is like... And he's looking at my account and he sees that I've got like... 20 freaking non-sufficient funds that bounce checks and he's like he looks straight at me and says I don't know whether to bring out the president of the bank to welcome you or to call the police he's like you know what's this Google thing so after Next Pimp I looked at I the thing about Next Pimp was I, I ran obviously Google AdSense on it which was the primary, well, it wasn't the primary source after a while, but I thought like, okay, Google AdSense, for those who don't know, is the contextual you know, display network. And I thought like, gosh, it would be really cool if I could put my own ads that went to affiliate offers, what basically track the money back to the source. All people were doing were advertising on my site were affiliate offers. Well, if I could do affiliate offers, but make it look like Google AdSense, that'd be awesome. So I called it Shoe Money Ads and I started my display network. So I did it for myself. And then I was like, eh, I'll let everyone use it. So I, then I let other people use it, put their own ads in, put their own ads on their own site. Look like Google AdSense. Um, if you were Google listening, actually, I didn't use any of your code at all in the JavaScript at all. Um, so especially not the same font even, uh, but yeah. So basically then I'm literally at in Vegas. It's literally like 4 a.m. I'm playing poker at Binion's and there's it's at Affiliate Summit so the affiliate manager or the head of the affiliate division for affiliate if you don't know what affiliates is it's basically like if you send people to eBay and they happen to bid or purchase something you get a percentage of that so the person who's in charge of that program was playing poker with me and said oh you're shoe money you have the shoe money ads thing and I was like oh yeah and he's like you know we have a lot of people making money using your ads for eBay and you should think about just making one around eBay. And I was like, well, what would, you know, like, what would you guys do for me? Like, you know, because obviously that's not simple. 
and they were like, well, you know, we'd give you like the highest payout tier, which you would start out at like eight bucks and it would go to like 22, right? Per, per, per new user that went to eBay. And then you also got a percentage of anything they bought or sold, or I forget how exactly it works. Right. But so I, so I was like, okay. So I decided like, hey, okay, I'll call it auction ads. And so I bought the domain auction ads and I brought on a $20 an hour programmer to help me and it exploded. And basically auction ads was an advertising network that pulled, it would first try to contextually match, like if you had content about a Canon camera, it would try to pull Canon cameras off of eBay, show how much time is left, whatever. You could also give it a keyword and it would automatically look for those things. You could set a minimum price, maximum price. It just had all these variables in it. People loved it, and it just spread like wildfire. And it and um, it really taught me about uh, market penetration because I went, I had a, I listened to something, and someone was talking about market penetration and how getting the biggest person to do it, and everyone in their niche will follow. So I went to TechCrunch to Mike Arrington, and I said, "Hey, I see you're running Google AdSense. I'll give you 10% more per month." to run auction ads. And he said, done. So he ran auction ads and Mashable, P. Cashmore wrote to me and I I go, I mean, I go way back, so I knew these guys. So P. Cashmore is like, dude, what are you giving Arrington? Like, I want the same deal, you know, whatever, you know? And I'm like, he's just running it, dude, I don't know. And it's on Mashable. And then it's like everyone, Rewrite Web ran it. I mean, like everything from there filtered out. So then I went to MMA Junkie and I said, what are you making from AdSense? I'll, re- I'll pay you 10% more per month, guaranteed. And in every niche, and it was so key. I lost my ass on TechCrunch, yeah. but I crushed it on the rest right. of it. So then, anyway, four months after I launched it, I'm at twenty-five thousand publishers, two million a month revenue, and I sell it for, you know, low. Uh, what would be eight figures? Yeah, eight figures. I've had a couple drinks, so eight figures. So. So it's a rumored 15 million, but I can't confirm or deny that. I try to, like I said, like my whole thing is build something that I want and then let other people use it. You know what I mean? And then the money, like I swear to God, like I wrote about this not too long ago is that I built something that made me many, the next month that made me over $10 million. And probably eight of that was profit. And it was a side effect of making something that I loved making and I, I just, I, I wanted myself, you know, auction ads was something I made for myself and selling that for a lot, you know, was a side effect of that. People will buy info product after info product on how to do SEO, how to make money online, how to do Google AdWords, how to do Facebook and stuff, but they'll never risk, and they'll buy them for $2,000 a piece, but they won't spend $200 of their own money to try a Google AdWords campaign. That's and I, I have sold, 25,000 products to teach people how to make money on the internet. And that was never my goal. I hate the word guru. I I think it's the slimiest thing ever, all this stuff. But I I created a, a years ago, like I'm not here to pitch, I'm not gonna tell you what the name of it is because I definitely don't wanna pitch it. But like I actually sold 25,000 copies. I've made millions of dollars off of selling how to make money online. Like So basically I log in and I see that this is a true fact, less than 1% of the people logged in more than three times. There's over 100 hours of video of training in there, and I've sold this thing, originally I sold it for $2,000, 
And now on Udemy, it's for sale for $200. And if you go to Udemy right now, there's close to 10,000 buyers. Like, like you're not going to find the out answer out there searching and getting education. It's just starting and gaining the experiences. You know, we at, at our company, we kind of refer to that as scar tissue, right? Like everybody's asking, like, how do I, how do I? And I'm like, oh, you just need to build up your scar tissue. Like you just need to like, you know, kind of get the bumps and bruises and, and learn from that. And um, maybe, maybe that's what it is because I, I really personally try to pinpoint like what it is. And, and my theory was it's fear of embarrassment. But what you just said is it's almost fear of inexperience. And you're just saying, just go get injured along the way. Let the broken bones heal. Keep moving forward. That's that's really interesting. And then, then the part you said about, you know, they'll spend $2,000 on education, but they won't spend $200 on Google AdWords, which buying a Google AdWords campaign will tell you so much more than buying like a how-to book. That, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, in my, in my opinion, there's two things that are priceless, and it's time, because you can't buy more, and it's experience. You cannot buy experience. You can buy education all day. And that's why I have a whole, I could go on forever about the price of time and the cost of time. So you, you are like the epitome of like a hustler mentality. Um, I think too many times people think, you know, I'm going to buy AdWords or I'm going to create great content or I'm going to create, you know, you, you said it earlier, which I agree to you on some level, like if you build it, they will come. But you think about marketing completely differently. I, I've known you for three, four years now. We've had conversation after conversation. I've learned a lot from you. Um, what What is that that you think, What 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 is going on in your head that you think about marketing completely different than everybody else? I think the core answer to that is that it kind of goes back to the beginning thing of that you got to relate to your audience, right? And, and like I said, I build things that I want and I'm myself always. Deep, deep emotional level. Yeah, I'm talking about the Jeremy Shoemaker who was sleeping on his friend's couch, poor as shit. You know, like, you can't be Jeremy Shoemaker, multimillionaire. You know, I've got an anesthesiologist wife who brings in a good amount of money. I could retire tomorrow beautiful and life, never... family, beautiful kids. Thank you. Yep. So you know Guy Kawasaki, Tim Ferriss, Dan Martell, um, et cetera, et cetera. How do they know your brand, Shoe Money, versus the human being who you really are? Like, kind of describe who you know your brand versus who you really are. Yeah, so Shoe Money started as this very immature kid guy, and is I should say guy, but I, I look at everyone under 40 almost now as I'm 41, but as I, I call them kid, like like you, you know, basically kid and you. Um, but basically like uh, Shoe Money started as this very immature person who came into a lot of money and very inexperienced on what's to do with that money or how to act. And so if you look at the early days of... Sure, sure. Absolutely. Buying all your friends' cell phones, you know, just doing everything for your friends, buying people cars. And that was me. Absolutely, it was me. My wife was like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, buying your friend. I mean, I, 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 
you know, like at Christmas, I gave my mom $20,000 in $1 bills in a glass case because I thought it was a f***ing riot because I wanted to see her go into a bank with this giant case that looks like who wants to be a millionaire? Do you remember those giant cases of hundreds of million? But $20,000 in ones is a lot of mother effing ones, right? So that was the old immature shoe money. When I turned 40, but who's Jeremy Shoemaker? Like, I was this, Shoe Money, the, the blog and stuff, I was so outlandish, I would call everyone out and say, you know, this industry is full of crap because I was making so much money, I didn't care what people thought or whatever. And, but when people would meet me at conferences, they would constantly say, God, you're nothing like I thought you would be. I thought you'd be this arrogant, egotistical son of a bitch. which is the same thing I get when on the reviews on Amazon for my book, which is my life story. Nothing's changed by a change available on Amazon and, and uh, audible.com and if you like the audio version. Um, anyway, so the Shoe Money um, book, you know, basically like the same reviews are like the, the, the most rated one says, you know, when I first started reading it, I thought he was the most arrogant, egotistical, like narcissist, whatever. But by the end, I was in love with him. And my wife actually replies to that and says, I know what that's like. And that's really shoe money versus Jeremy Shoemaker. Like you can see me and think I'm egotistical and all this stuff, but I'm just honest, you know, like, I mean, and those can be taken however they want, but in text, things can be taken a certain way, but I, you sit with me and I say the exact same thing. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you know, because you see like, I'm joking about this or I'm like, this is serious, you know, but in text, it's very hard to do. I think I'm a ninja at it, but it's very hard to do. Do you consider yourself a sensitive human being? Not at all. I'm a emotionless, cold hearted. I think for the most part, I think I'm wired a little bit different. And I think being so fat, so young and having people ridicule me makes me very numb to people now, I have friends who do things and people say, oh, this is products crap, this is this, and they're done, they're off the internet, they can't take criticism. I'm like, dude, that's nothing. Go to school every day and have kids make fun of you because you're so fat and you can't fit in the desk. That's something that you and I share where I I was bullied terribly as a child for a couple years of my life. And um, it's interesting because I was actually just happened to stumble upon Elon Musk and he was bullied so terribly, he's actually put in, put in the hospital for getting beat up so bad. And uh, this, this is kind of like a side project that I'm researching is, you know, a lot of CEOs um, and a lot of uh, hustler type mentalities. Um, I'm curious if there's a cor- correlation between being bullied, but then also um, like uh, learning disabilities. So you hear about CEOs of Goldman Sachs, Walmart, et cetera, they actually have like dyslexia. And, and the, the theory is that they learn workarounds so they can't actually do something the way that normal people do it, um, but they learn workarounds. So it's kind of like two things that I've, and, and I don't know if it's just the stuff that I'm reading, but I see more and more so as, you know, something really 
challenging happened to them to them as a child, uh, bullying, etc. And then the second thing is um, some sort of obstacle that they have to overcome. And so I can totally relate to that bullying. And, and you know, mine was for a couple years time frame, but that had a profound impact. So what you're saying, I totally agree with. And if you look at like Tim Ferriss was bullied as a kid, um, Seth Golden, Golden, you look at him for 10 seconds, you know he was a freaking, you look up nerd in the dictionary, there's a picture of him. Um, but also, you know, like it's it's just fascinating. Stephen Hawking and all these people that experience extreme adversity. Stephen Hawking is incredible. The the impact he's made on humanity is unbelievable. It, it's true. Like, and and also, I think the one of the biggest things is it you get used to ridicule and being made fun of. And whatever else. And so when you hit it, you're like, you, whatever. All right, let's move to the real topic. You know, and you, you stay eyes on the prize. And you don't let the most things that would throw people off. I'm a big fan of drawing a line and negatives benefits or positives negatives. And actually, like, letting the freaking ink on the paper speak for itself. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Shoe Money for taking time to catch up with us this week. And if you liked Shoe Money on this episode, feel free to let him know on Twitter, at Shoe Money. If you have any questions for us this week, just reach out on Twitter as well, at The IO Podcast. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and do that now. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. Until next time, go build something big 